0: We talk about surah al-kawthar. Before we delve into this very simple surah, let's go back and sort of collect several items together. We uh, we started out with the surah We discussed a relationship between the divine, between God, and the created. And at the time, we identified an engaged relationship, a nurturing relationship, a relationship in which God interacts with those who seek the interaction. And we also said that the straight path all those, uh, the the straight, but it is nonetheless not smooth. In other words, it could be plagued with all types of bumpiness and ups and downs. And then we went on to identify the unique munazdah, the unique nature of the divine. That the divine is quite unlike the created. And through our commentary, both on Kulhu Allahu Ahad, Ukul Ya Kafirun, we identified the elements in which God becomes the essential reality. Everything else becomes a constructed reality, a constructed, which is also a source of empowerment, constructed in the sense that. How you see reality very much depends on your relationship with God. And at the time, if you remember, we talked at length about how a marriage could be a contract between a man and a woman. But you could redefine the dynamics of reality so that a marriage becomes a form of spiritual bond between two um souls we talked about how a table could be simply a table or it could be simply a an artifact of service to God how you perceive things how you, you understand and absorb things very much will depend then on how you interact with God and that God and this interactive, intimate relationship is one in which a person commits oneself to or a person commits a per- himself to and seeks actively. And it is neither easy nor smooth that it is full of hardships and pulling and so on. Now, then we talked about, in, when we, we talked about Surah Ikra, then the avenues for knowledge. Now that we said that you, your construction of reality is dependent on, as, as, as a devout person, as a believing person, on how you interact with God, how you understand God, consequently how you understand yourself, in other words, how you understand, how you interact with God, with God that will also affect how you define yourself, how you construct yourself, how you construct others, how you define others. That everything in essence becomes contingent and dependent on how you interact with God. What is this construction of reality? It's a form of knowledge. It's knowledge. When you construct reality and then know re- this, this constructed reality is knowledge. And then we talked about how human beings are addressed or are. are, are um, um, discussed in Surat Ikra and how this process of attainment of knowledge could either become a process of further service to Allah or could become a process in which a human being becomes detached completely and in fact arrogant. That knowledge is sort of a could act as the force that brings you into a further, further intimacy with Allah. Knowledge could be the, the very vehicle that allows you an intimacy unimagined to you before. Or knowledge could be the source of true arrogance in which you detach further and further away from Allah. And in fact, we saw in Surah al that Allah warns, Warrant of the natural human tendency the natural human tendency to become conceited and so and think yourself self sufficient and to lose sight of where this whole constructed reality really began. If you try to absorb everything we've done so far, you sort of you end up with with something like this and then you, you start seeing the foolishness of the arrogance and the conceit you start up you start up with something in which there is really a core being the, the really only stable, constant eternal being and that is God everything beyond God is has no inherent essence of its own. It is neither permanent nor is it, in any sense, non-derivative. Everything else is a derivative being. And then you, you through the, our discussions about that, you you get the sense that the realm in which we live very much depends on how we define... Our relationship to the non-derivative being, in other words, the being that that is inherent and is self-sufficient and is non-derivative, if we completely ignore it, that will lead to a certain construction of reality or construction of different realities. If we embrace it, that leads to a whole set of other realities. But then the irony of it is that we often, as human beings, forget our inherently dependent nature. And it is very easy for us to assume ourselves self-sufficient. In other words, to sort of get the, 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 um, the fever of thinking of ourselves as minor gods. And in doing so we construct realities that ultimately lead to our own destruction. And we we, we trace that in Surat iqra Now if you remember in Surat Ikra we confronted something that was quite fascinating. The Surah seems to be contextual if you recall. I mean there is all types of report that it is very much contextual, um, uh, that it was revealed as a response to a single person. If you remember that a person insults the Prophet and then Surah Ikra is revealed. And we went through two lines of interpretation. A line of inter- interpretation that was non-contextual, a line of interpretation in which we ignored the context, the historical context of the surah and a line of interpretation where we integrated the, the, the um, historical context of the surah. And towards the end of the haraqah, I think it was Jihad who said, well, is it possible that it was both at the same time? That in fact, it has a historical context and in fact, it was revealed in response to a specific person but simultaneously, it has all these other abstract metaphysical meanings that have nothing to do with the context. Do you remember that? remember that question? No? Well, that was basically the, the comment, right? In other words, is it possible that at the same time, it was at a specific point in time, at the time of the prophet, it was talking about a specific interaction between the prophet and an individual. But nonetheless, despite of the fact that it meant that at a specific point in time, that it would have a meaning that far transcends the specific historical context. And if you remember, I told you, well, let's hold off talking about this until we discuss Surah al kauthar Because Surah al kauthar poses to us and, and a few others like Abu Lahab, Surah tabbat Yada abu Lahab this whole issue of when we, remember again, I'll backtrack because it's important that you stay with me especially at this juncture we said that how we construct reality depends on how we interact with God what An essential part of this interaction with God is how God communicates with you, as human beings. I mean, God could communicate through a variety of means, right? God could communicate by having incidents and sending you signs or or evidence by having a, a variety of physical occurrences take place around you. You try, for example, you're going to commit a sin and then your car, your car breaks down and then you fall, you trip and fall and scrap your knee and then, uh, I don't know, everything seems to be going wrong. That could very well be a sign to you. And if you choose to ignore it, you've ignored the communication. God could also communicate with you in the form of leading your heart towards something. So, you know, at a moment, a true moment of prayer or whatever, you feel good about something. And if you talk yourself out of it, You've ignored the communication. And that happens to all of us. I mean, a lot of times we we feel right about something, especially after we finish praying, but as soon as we indulge in life, we forgot this initial pure feeling. And what has happened is that God communicated with you at one moment in time, and you ignored it. But God, could also, God also communicates with you, and essentially communicates with you through the Qur'an. And as Muslims, you also believe that God communicated with you through the Old Testament and God communicated with you through the New Testament and then finally communicated with you through the Qur'an. And while you could go back, back as, as far back as reading the Old Testament New Testament, you miss that component of You don't really know what came from God and what didn't. And if you read them, by the way, you'll find that you'll be able to identify things that are exactly like the Qur'an and things that are completely different than the Qur'an. Anyway, so then the issue is, okay, this line of communication, and we're going to talk about sort of the the metaphysical communication, in other words, the non-written communication between the human being and Allah much later on. For now, we simply focus on the written communication. In other words, we we will talk uh, later on about uh, does God communicate with human beings through dreams? Does God communicate with human beings through emotions? Does God communicate with human beings through thoughts? And so on and so forth. But that comes later on, much later on. For now, it is the issue of communication through the written word. And when God uses language, When God reveals within a context, how are we supposed to handle that? How are we supposed to deal with that? How are we supposed to understand that? If you remember in Surah Iqra, we said if we take the the historical reports as authentic, we ended up with what? With a very narrow meaning to the the, the, uh, Surah. And if we took the non-contextual, non-historical, understanding we, we ended up with a very expansive meaning to the surah. And we raised, at the end, the possibility that it would be intended for both. But then the question is, if that's the case, then how does God use language? When God, for example, says, a nasiyatim kazi batin Remember, which says the, the uh, a a um, is the, the forehead or the, the upper part of the head that it is misguided and deceitful, and the forehead being symbolic to the to the to the, uh, the symbolic of the face generally arrogant, deceitful. Is it talking about Abu Jahl or is it talking about the character of a person who becomes conceited and absorbed by knowledge? If you say it's only talking about Abu Jahl and you don't carry the meaning beyond that, you're stuck. Then the verse really relates to Abu Jahl. But if you ca- if you say it's not only about Abu Jahl, it's talking about the character of a human being, then you've just expanded the meaning all over the place to describe a, a, a character type rather than simply Abu Jah. Now, someone who has the tra- translated Quran, read the, out loud, read the translation of إِنَّ عَتَيْنَكَ Okay. So, pray to your Lord and sacrifice. It is your insulter who is without posterity. Now, right away, you are alerted to the possibility that what? that it could very well be talking about someone who insulted the prophet. Right? And when it says sacrifice, sacrifice what? Onehar. When we say har what what is that normally referred to? Yeah, which is what? Slaughter. Well, not necessarily camel, but if you slaughter an animal, which you then, in in pilgrimage, you slaughter an animal and you feed to the poor... That's called nah. This process, I mean, we're, uh, that's called nah. So, in that sense, the surah could have a very simple meaning. We have given you abundance. In other words, we've given you a lot of good things. So pray. Slaughter the animals you're supposed to slaughter in t- during pilgrimage. And that who insults you is the loser. End of it. Right? And in fact, we find that the reports related about the surah tell us that it was revealed in response to the following individuals, or in response to one of those, one of the following individuals. In other words, there is a report that supports each of these versions. One report says that this surah was revealed in response to Abu Lahab, the well-known enemy of the Prophet and the Prophet's uncle, Abu Lahab. And that Abu Lahab went to the Prophet and said, basically, you're a loser, and insulted him in public. And then the Qur'an responded to Abu Lahab and said, no, you're the loser. Another report says that, no, it was Abu Jahl that this surah was revealed as a response to the well-known enemy of the Prophet and the persecutor of Muslims, someone who persecuted Muslims rather extensively. We're going to return to, to this point again. But, uh, and again, that the same, the same, more or less the same version is that Abu Jahl comes and tells the, the Prophet Ant al Abtar, you are the one. Uh, you are the one who has no male offspring, which was considered an insult at the days of the Arabs back then. In other words, sort of, it's a it's a it's a particularly hurtful way of saying you're a loser. You know, if you're you're not a man. If you're a man, you would have men. And all your all the prophets' male offspring died, as we know, and. And then the surah was revealed in response to Abu Jahl. A third report says, no, it was Al-As bin Wa'il. Al-As bin Wa'il, more or less the same type of format. And yet a fourth report says, no, it was Ka'b bin al-Ashraf, not Al-As bin Wa'il. In the, under any of these reports, it would rather be a straightforward proposition and a straightforward Process. Someone insulted the prophet, and God responded for the prophet. We know, in a certain way, it would make sense, because we know that the prophet's character was such that it seems he had a very hard time responding to insults. If you look at the seerah carefully, you won't find a single incident in which the prophet responds to an insult with an insult. He seemed to be unable to to answer an insult with an insult. And invariably, whenever an insult whenever an insult is responded to, it's responded to through what? The Quran, the revelation, which is an interesting point. And with the famous story, when they when the companions tell them, why don't you ask God to curse him? And He says, I, I was sent a prophet, not a curser. But this is a remarkable thing that you start noticing if when you when you pour through the seerah and so on, seerah the life of the prophet, is he, and even with his wives, to be quite honest with you, even when his wives, when some of his wives would tell him some stuff that would make any person's blood boil, like when Aisha went and told him his wife Aisha went and told him you know, you, your God indulges you, or um, I, I listen to God, I don't listen to you. You never have a response. You always have him remain in silence, or shake his head and walk away. And then whenever there is a response, it comes in the Quran, which is an interesting point. And here again, the, the, the reports say, whether it's Abu Jahl or Abu Lahab or al wal or whatever, that the, the Prophet is, is walking in the market coming out of prayer when abu jahl or uh, abu lahab or one of these people meet him and says what what were you doing are you praying you abtar you loser and the prophet walks away and doesn't answer and then the, the revelation comes sort of answering for him an interesting point nonetheless there is something quite fascinating about Suratic culture. And that is and now and, and and we will go through the the the, um, the truly how can I describe it? It's fascinating about the nature of the words used in al culture. And that is the whole point, the words used. So okay. Inna, inna, we we the, the the we of majesty, the plural pl- plural of majesty. This is like the old British kings when they would say we bestow upon you the great honor of I means the king, it's one person, but you, you the we of majesty. Inna Atainaka means gave you. No no issue here. A Kauthar. Now a Kauthar is a fascinating word. It's a fascinating word because it's a word not within the common usage of Arabic. We find it in some old Arabic poetry, but it, the, the, the grammar form in which it occurs, uh, it has it's quite unprecedented. And we have no less than nine different positions on the meaning of the word, Kawthar. Nine different positions. Position number one, related by Ikrama the well-known companion, who argue, argued that a Kawthar means prophethood, and nubuwa. Position number two was related by Hassan, the prophet's grandson. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Hassan, the, the Ali's son, um, Hassan Hussein. This is the Hasan, the the Ali's son. Yeah, it is the Prophet's <laughs> grandson. Getting old. Okay, from from of course from his daughter Fatima. Which says that Kawthar means the Quran. We've given you the Quran. Al-Mughira bin as the famous companion, give us gives us position number three. Said no, Kawthar means Islam, al-Islam. Ibn Umar, this is Umar's son, and Anas bin Malik, the, the famous companion Anas, says, no, this is position number four, a kawthar is a river in heaven. And there is a report that says that the Prophet, when he ascended on al-mi'raj uh, to heaven, he saw a, rev- a river given to him by, go- by God. And that river is called a kawthar. Ata, another one of the famous companions, argued for number five that ikhtilaf is that in the final day there is an area that the prophet is going to be in, and people, in a fit of panic, will be running towards the prophets generally, trying to plead with them to plead with God. Not to hold them accountable for their full sins. And this area is the area called the Kawthar. In other words, the Prophet will be an area and people will be rushing to try to plead with the Prophet, talk to God, talk to God, and so on. Number six, Ibn Abbas, from the famous companion, Ibn Abbas, says that the Kawthar means a lot of good, khayr kathir. A lot of bounties. Abu Bakr bin Ayash, not a very famous companion, gives us number seven, position number seven, and said that Kawthar means that the Prophet's ummah, the Prophet's followers, are going to be a large number. It comes from the word Kathra. Position number 8, which was related by Ibn Kisan, said that Al-Kawthar means honor, the privilege of honor. And position number 9 said Al-Kawthar is in the form of Fu'al, of the word Kasra. Fu'al is one of the, um, what do you call these, Um patterns. And it's from the word Qasra, which means Rifat al-Zikr, means a solid reputation. Nine positions. It could mean a Qur'an, it could mean Islam, it could mean uh, a a river, it could mean an area that people crowd over, it could mean a large followership, it could mean... um, uh, Honor and dignity, it could mean a solid reputation. Nine possible meanings for inna Now this raises a fascinating issue. If this is a response to a specific individual, an individual insulted the prophet, God is responding to that individual. Why would God use a term? that could have so many different meanings i mean if you want to put someone in their place you use something quite specific don't you if you want to say you're a loser you say you're a loser let me define let's spell loser for you but if you are going beyond the context you might word the response in such a fashion as to affirm a principle and we'll talk about what the principle is Okay, let's move then The the second verse. Fasalli lirabbika one Fasalli lirabbika one Fasalli comes from the word what? Salah, which means what? Pray. Mujahid, one of the famous companions, said Salah means the written. Prayer to pray, in other words, the five prayers. Ata said, "No, it is the Salat al-Aid. Why Salat al-Aid? Because when do we slaughter animals? right, right after or uh, right after, like Salat al-Aid?" The Eid <laughs> the big Eid, not the small, not this Eid. Ikrama said, "No, Salat basically means thank God because." Salah does not necessarily mean prayer, it means to thank, in humility, to thank humble. فَصَلِّي لِرَبِّكَ صَلِّي means the, the position number three, the, the one by the famous companion, إكرمة, is that just basically, thank, without specifications. رَبِّكَ, God. But what is fascinating about the word رَبْ and we, we've encountered this several times before, Caretaker, upbringer. That Allah is... And we, remember we went through all this thing whether Allah is a proper name or not a proper name so on. Rabb is, is the, your upbringer. Someone who you interact with and then takes care of you. And then we come to that word one Wanhar. And here we have no less than five different positions. Position number one, which was related by Ikrima, Mujahid, and quta, Qutada, said, "One means slaughter the animal, the sheep, after the the eight prayer, which you then give that meat to the poor after feeding your family." Position number two, which was related by the companion of the hawk, said, no, one har, in proper Arabic, Arabic, means ask. This relates to what? To what word before it? Rab, the caretaker. So here, the connection between one har and Rab is obvious. Because if Rab is the caretaker, you, it is not only you thank, you remember the dynamic interactive relationship between God and human beings, it's not only that you thank, but you also ask. And God responds in an interactive fashion. Third position, which was related by Ali, the prophet's cousin, the famous Ali, and Ibn Abbas, the famous companion, said, no, naqr in proper Arabic is that when you place the right hand on top of the left hand in prayer. Proper Arabs, that's what they call Nah when you put their hand. Now, by the way, if you accepted this interpretation in prayer, how are you going to put your hand? You're going to put your hand like this, the right hand on top of the left hand. If you don't, sometimes you'll do this or you won't even have, you'll just put your hands down. Anyway, but there's another report from Ali, which says that one har could also mean when you raise your hand in takbir, when you say Allahu Akbar in the beginning of prayer, this is called Nahr as well. So, you have one interpretation is slaughtering your animal. One interpretation is ask. Another interpretation is the position in prayer of the right hand above the left hand. And another one is lifting your hand as you say Allahu Akbar. And Ibn Abu al-Ahwas has related a fifth position that walhar really means that when you face the qibla in prayer, that's called nahr. He derived this from the, the way Arabs, when they say mutanahr, means face-to-face. And so it's like you, you stand face-to-face with the qibla, that's called tanahr. However, that position is quite weak. And that position is quite weak for for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of them is this position in the tra- chain of transmission that related this position to us. The, one of the uh, the people who related this report is a guy called Israel bin Hatim. And Israel bin Hatim was a well known liar. So, number one, we're not even sure that Abu Al Ahwas even, that this was the position of Abu Al Ahwas. And so, the position number five we can fairly, we can safely ignore as unauthentic. And that's the one where you face the qibla called Okay. Now, in the huwa al-abtar. And that's the end of the, the surah. In the shani akahual abdar. Shani in Arabic really could have two possible meanings. One related by Abu Shajara. Mubghidaka means that who hates you. And the other was related by Ibn Abbas which means aduvuka. Your enemy. So aka," your enemy or your, your that who hates you is what is the abtar. and here aptar is another one of these words possible meaning number 1 there are five positions as five positions as to aptar position number 1 is the one related by qutada one of the companions means Hakir dalil means low and worthless two related by Ikrima means Literally, it's sort of like the weird one or the, or the, the oddity. Al Wahid is Zaleel. Means the Al the, Wahid, the, uh, ال, he's the odd one. Position number three, Abtar means that something that no good comes out of, something that is. You know, you you say something is aptar when it produces no good, it has no possibility of producing good anymore. Yeah. Number four. Is that the Mexicans used to call a person who, as, and we also already mentioned this, a person who dies or a person who doesn't have any male offspring? used to call them the aptar. And as we know, that the prophet, his his, his boys his male offspring, died. None of them survived him. And according to this fourth position, what happened is that Qasim, his son Qasim, died in Mecca. And his son Ibrahim died in Medina. And when that happened, the Meccans went around saying, Batara Muhammad. Batara Muhammad means, what a loser, he has no male offspring. So that the Quran comes and says, returns the insult. And this then supports this idea that the Prophet, as his nature, was unable to respond to insults. So God comes in and responds for him. Then we need to know one more piece of information about the context of this verse, this chapter, the surah. Before really we can try or we start figuring out what is going on and, and why... And what that teaches us about the interactive process of constructing reality. What we live in, that we call reality. And here, that, particularly this, this uh, comes to the fore when we talk about Ka'ad ibn al-Ashraf. If you remember, I told you one of the people that it is transmitted, reported that this verse has been revealed in response to, or this surah has been revealed in response to Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf. The context of this report is that the Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf, who is not a Meccan and not from Quraysh, came to visit Mecca, conducting business in Mecca. He heard Muhammad preaching. And then they, they started telling him or commenting to him about Muhammad. And made the following comments. Can you believe this guy? We are the people of Sukaya and Hajij. We are the people who water the pilgrims. In other words, give water to the pilgrims. And we are the people that take care of the pilgrims generally. And this this min qawmi, this um, not rebel uh, outcast. This outcast from his people comes and introduces a complete innovation. In other words, the the, the way they they construct Muhammad to cab, the way they cast the personality of Muhammad or the position Muhammad is basically: we are peop- people of religious stature religious honor where does that religious stature and religious honor come from is the fact we take care of the pilgrims we t- we are the ones who traditionally done the religious functions of society what is he he's some weirdo an outcast he is a complete pariah he's a pariah there's nothing legitimate about him to this gab responds well, of course, you're better than him. Antum You are better than him. And then that this surah then becomes is revealed in that context. Now, keeping in mind the the complexity of reports about the occasion for revelation, the 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 rather fascinating fact that three sentences or three verses each of these three verses or sentences ends in an obscure word structured ambiguity what's going on? what is going on? the crucial the turning point word in each verse is the ambiguous one why? obviously two things could be occurring simultaneously. On the one hand, is the reality of the biting criticism against the prophet, and the prophet's rather gentle character, which does not respond. And God then comes in to respond for him. And we see a variety of taunting, painful ways of putting down the prophet. You, you lose and you have no sons. Every time you get, a, you get a son, they die. I mean, that hurts. It hurts, why? Because these are your kids that died. I mean, you're already in pain. And can you imagine when someone comes and taunts you with the death of your own child? That's real pain. I mean, sometimes when we forget that the, 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 the prophet is human, we ignore the reality of the painful situation that he's in. If your son has some type of handicap and someone taunts you with your son's handicap, that hurts and it hurts a lot. Now when you had three sons in Mecca, three from Khadijah, all three died. And then later on you get another son in in in, in Medina, and that son dies. And then someone comes and taunts you with it, that really hurts. And in addition to that, is basically the taunting of the prophet that he is, while he thinks that he's a prophet, he's nothing more than a weird outcast, a pariah from society. And the historical, the contextual, historical circumstance of God coming in and saying, basically, a response. But yet, in that response, the language used is such that it explodes a variety of meanings that could be absorbed depending on the historical circumstance which humans are going through so notice this if you live at the time of the prophet what is the meaning of the of, of this surah okay you're living at the time of the Prophet. We have given you a lot of good. Now, you want it to be a river? Okay, fine. A river. We've given you a lot of good. Thank your Lord, who's your caretaker. And present sacrifices, or not sacrifices, but but, but perform the nahr which could be in this context, either the sla- well actually, in the time of the Prophet, let's 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 leave the slaughtering of sheep till a bit later, okay? Which could be performed, which is supplications towards your Lord, worship and ask, worship and ask, because we know that you're going to through a, a a tumultuous time of being insulted in this painful fashion and not responding, and know That that who persecutes you is the one who is the loser, not you. Now, in a different day and age, it could have a rather technical meaning, legalistic meaning, like the Wahhabis interpret today. We have given you the Qur'an, okay? Which usually don't have say, it means the Quran. We've given you the Quran, so pray and slaughter animals at Eid, which you give to the poor. And then refers to Abu Jahl or Abu Lahab or whatever, nothing more. So, that sort of like that part belongs to the Prophet, and the first two verses, the first two sentences present us with technical obligations. Now, If you go at another level of meaning then you end up with the following. And here we just joined, or I'm sorry, we just attach from the Prophet altogether. Who is it talking to now? It's talking to those who decided to follow the way or to to follow the path of God and are being persecuted and agonized by that decision. And basically it proceeds in in the following fashion. We have given you Islam or belief. Instead of we've given you prophethood or we've given you the Quran, we've given you belief or Islam. So, pray to God. Saldi. Pray. Worship. Your caretaker. And ask. Engage in the interactive relationship with Allah. And you must know that when you do so, you are not the weird one. Despite of all... Despite of all... Contrary appearances. Those who hate you for doing so. Remember, Shani One of the possible meanings of mubghidaka Those who hate you. Those who will hate you. Not necessarily even those who will persecute you. Not necessarily those who will call you names. As when we limited it to the prophet. It must, it must then now at that level of meaning, it doesn't even refer to calling someone, someone calling you names. Just know that those who hate you for worshipping and asking your caretakers are the ones who no good comes out of. Remember the outar, one of the meanings is they don't produce any good. That these people, it is not that they're the outcasts or the priors. it has nothing to do with name calling now. But rather that those people are the ones who are are the ones who produce no good or benefit or produce no good in life or society so now it has to do with a philosophical point about your interaction with Allah you are going to interact with Allah there are people who are going to hate you for that and you must know that those people are the ones who produce nothing good in life not you and if you think about it, then the, this, this surah takes a completely different meaning for you because you must have all experienced that, you must have all had that experience. In other words, when you decide to, to inter- live an interactive life with Allah, you always find those who, although might not deride you, might not insult you, but dislike you for it. And the question becomes, which of you are really superfluous to life, which of you are marginal, which of you are of no real value, because if you remember, those who hate the, the religious type, will say, those who interact with God, what is their main point? Is that a religious human being equals to a person of no real value, if you think about it, it hasn't changed throughout his- of history. Throughout history, that a religious person basically is something nice, but entirely useless. And the Quran, at that level of meaning, comes in response saying, "No, oh, you must know that those who hate you are the ones who is who are really useless." So to re- to to go back again, the Quran then you will discover as as some well-known Quranic commentators and, and, and theologians have noted and even Orientalists such as Zutsu, the famous Japanese scholar that the Quran seems to sometimes function at one layer of meaning simply talking to you at one level that's it at other times it talks at multi-layers of meaning and Qalzar has three. Some other surahs that we'll talk about later have as much as nine or twelve layers of meaning. And when the when when you talk about these different layers or levels of meaning, then you are really talking about God allowing you to construct your reality depending on your level of interaction with God. And depending on the historical circumstance or your position in history, in time. So if you lived at the time of the Prophet, you might simply understand the kawthar as saying, either lived at the time of the Prophet or lived long after, but you have a very simple level of understanding that basically kawthar says, we have given you prophethood or the Quran, you know, it was uh, you Muhammad, talking to Muhammad, basically. And then, you know, pray to God and slaughter sheep, feed the poor. And you must know that that person who insults you, makes fun of you, is the real loser. In other words, it's it's, it's another form of, Muhammad is not going to return an insult, so God does it for him. And here, then, the, the, the surah is simply contextual to Muhammad, to the prophet. And really nothing beyond that. Second layer of meaning is the, the 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 what we call the legal layer of meaning. The legal in which the two first verses relate generally, but the last one, the last verse, is to Muhammad. So we have given you um, we have given you Islam. So worship God, and then that last verse it relates to specifically Muhammad. Those who criticize you, Muhammad, are the real real losers. Then the third took us to completely the realm of existence, of construction of reality. Here, everything, the, 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 the surah, loses its historical context and now talks at a completely different level and says, basically... That we have given you belief, we have given you the idea of submission, the, the idea of an interactive relationship with Allah. Part of this interactive relationship is to, to thank, to worship, and to ask. And you must know that those who will hate you for doing so, are the ones who really have no real value in life, not you. Inshallah, in, in later surahs, I will show you how some surahs have as much as nine or twelve layers of meaning, and uh, each of them sort of carries you to a different realm of consciousness. Now, this is, by the way, this is what Ibn Arabi in his, in his Sufi method, I mean, you don't need to be a Sufi to, to understand the way. What's called a Fath is that you understand a new layer of meanings through, through, through a new, like um, a, a divine inspiration to your soul. But really we're not talking about what Ibn Arabi used to refer to as Fath. But rather that the Quran must be looked at as again an interactive communication that seems to talk to you talk to your soul and to your mind at several levels at the same time at one level you understand something about the context of the prophet that's one level something even about the character of the prophet even something about the circumstance of the prophet at another level sort of the legal Obligations that you have to perform. At another level, at the inherently metaphysical, philosophical level that orient you towards life in the first place. And all of them could be going simultaneously at the same time. Yes, sir. All we've done is relied on, on transmissions. It, th- this is literally ta'wil bin Naql by transmissions these are just various transmissions from the companions and I intentionally did this because then what often happens is say well you know you are interpreting by finding nuances of meaning that have nothing to do with transmissions but if you notice everything we did here was a transmission by a companion and the question is is we can say well you know uh, these companions were really confused Or we can say alternatively they weren't confused. That they were in fact transmitting various meanings given to them by the Prophet. Because each transmission by the way relies on hadith. Each transmission like from Ikram or or Ibn Omar or Ibn Abbas say we heard the Prophet say that this word means. And it's not even a deduction. The point then is that in fact the prophet was told them that it means this and it means this and it means this and it means this and leaves it up to you that to understand why is it that in in what to, to connect the dots i mean it's not even a difficult connection so the the answer is i don't think the distinction between ta'wil and tafsir is going to get us very far here because of simply that these are all transmissions and then we want to make sense of why there are so many transmissions about uh, about these words, all at all at the same time. I mean, in a, in, a, in a deeper sense, it's really the interaction with God that really defines the meaning. But what I meant by historical or, or our our position in time is that when you are, for example, growing up in Saudi Arabia or Kuwait let's say Saudi Arabia you are taught that a Kawthar has a very straightforward meaning you are taught that there is in fact one meaning for it is that we have given you the Quran we have so pray and slaughter animals the eid al- the, the Big Eid and then, when it says, Inna abtar, that, means, that refers to the Prophet. And that's it. You know, this is the, what I refer to as the Wahhabi interpretation. Now, okay, in order to transcend my time, so to speak, in order to get away, let's say this is what I grew up with, then in order to transcend this, what do I do? I go open the the medieval books, and I find all these different transmissions that were censored out by the Wahhabi. Now, you're right in the sense that why did I go open these medieval books? It's because of my interaction with God, not, I mean, I transcended this my circumstances by ignoring what I grew up with and went to look into the original sources myself and say, okay, let me see what originally, uh, initially, what they said about the meaning of this. So... But what I wanted, to, what I was referring to, is that our historical circumstances often influence very heavily mm-hmm. how far we're willing to go to look into the meaning of something. It's sort of it bias, I don't think it's imposed, but it it sets a very strong bias um, in favor of a certain meaning. Uh, I mean, you know, in my case, for example, I grew up memorizing. Uh, that a means quran and so on and so forth, I mean they will have interpretation, and then that you you pray and then you slaughter animals and so on now this was because this meaning has become so widespread for a in the middle East that at all the elementary levels that's that 's the only thing they they would mention when you get into advanced studies then they 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 say, ah, well, you know now. Let's look at what Alusi says. Let's look at what Tabari says. And then when you look at Tabari, you see all these different reports and you, you're utterly confused. In the sense that knowledge here, it is the, the desire to understand the divine will. And that's what's the, 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 what the um, urge for knowledge should be the desire to understand what is it that God wants and what is it that God desires of us, allowed me to go beyond my own specific context. Because I could have very well stopped there and said, well, this is what kawthar means and I don't need to inquire further into the matter. Um, but you're right, it is really fundamentally the interaction with God that... that you know, if you the, the more seriously you take your interaction with God, the more layers of meaning you 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 are you experience, and sometimes I should add that the layer of meaning that you experience is remarkably an inspiration more than any form of logical conclusion. The prime example of this is what? The, 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 the verse that sort of forms the fountain of Sufism. Light upon light. Nur ala nur. Right? Because how, what does that mean? I mean? Give me a concrete meaning of light upon light. A concrete meaning, you cannot imagine a layer of light upon a layer of light. I mean, if our human mind doesn't think of light in that fashion. We think basically of light mingles. I mean, the light from this will mingle with the light of... And if I turn a, a, a blue bulb, light bulb, and an orange light bulb, and a yellow light bulb... I will not look at it as layers unless I direct the rays to be quite distinct. But even then it's not layers. The only way you can understand light upon light in any inherent fashion is a level of meaning that is beyond the deductive ability of the human mind, but rather an an inspiration. In other words, a meaning that is felt but not understood. When you reach that point in which you say, ah, I feel it. But here in Kausar we're not talking about that. We're just talking about, we're still well into the rational levels of meaning. Okay, anyone knows what number halqa is this? This seven? Okay, and hereby ends the seventh halaqa. I think, we're, inshallah, next week we're, we're meeting, right? No vacations, no breaks, not nothing. Okay. We don't, we don't take the out. Well, actually, I I stayed up researching the Said issue. Oh really? <laughs> I couldn't, because you know we we had Shgufta, uh, We've made a commitment to to come to temple, and here in Austin they they're gonna pray Eid Sunday. So then we're caught in dilemma because should we follow the 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 town that we live in or temple which we really don't live in have no real uh, attachments to. And then if we don't show up, then you'd be disappointed. And, uh, and you know, people that are expecting, okay, they didn't show up. And But yet, if we show up, you can't break the day of Ramadan. Or, so to present it itself was a really interesting, one of these interesting problems. And then I, after I gave my opinion to Zahra and Jihad, And then for about two hours, I couldn't sleep. I just kept looking further and further into the matter. And then finally, I was satisfied that, okay, I've exhausted what I can possibly look at. And it was left at that. It was uh, it was our pleasure collectively. You're welcome. If you don't get it from the library, my offer is still open. If I had another copy, I would have given you that. But I do I do cite the Quran in French, in in different contexts. So if you this is actually the best French translation of the Quran, Hamidullah by Hamidullah. Hamidullah was a very good scholar in his own right. And he actually does a really I wish this is I wish this would be translated to English. Because you see, um, Hamidullah provides notes I think are much more valuable than Yusuf Ali. Which one? This is Hamidullah translated the Quran to, to French. But Yeah, this is a guy who wrote um, Introduction to Islam and he wrote uh, Muslim Conduct of State. Islam in focus? Not Islam in focus. Introduction to Islam. Yeah. What was the other one? Muslim Conduct of State. Mm -hmm. Hamidullah was. um, spoke like seven languages, had two PhDs. Hamidullah was. That's his first name. No, his second name is called محمد حميد الله